Hello and welcome to the MIC Plus One podcast, where I sit down with industry leaders to discuss the project to product movement. I'm Mick Kirsten, founder and CEO of Tastop and best-selling author of Project to Product, how to survive and thrive in the age of digital disruption with the Flow Framework. For the initial set of episodes, my guests have been thought leaders whose groundbreaking publications inspired and influenced the Project to Product book and movement. A fascinating part of my job is getting an opportunity to work with technology and business leaders who are putting these very ideas into practice each day. Over the past year, I've learned a tremendous amount from my colleague, Heather Munoz, who's the head of retail brokerage practice at E-Trade. Heather has over 25 years of experience in leading software development practices for financial technology organizations. She's passionate about building great teams with strong focus on trust, transparency, and changing the way the development practices and product work together. Today, Heather holds primary accountability for development activities across all of retail, mobile, and digital growth initiatives at E-Trade. After a recent conversation, where I once again took copious notes on her approach to Agile DevOps transformation, I asked if Heather could share her ideas with our listeners, as I'm amazed by the sheer scope and the pace of results that she has generated at E-Trade. So with that, let's get started. Hello, everyone. I'm here with Heather Munoz of E-Trade. Heather is the head of development for retail brokerage services, mobile, digital, and market data solutions at E-Trade. Heather, you've been there for three years, and it's just been an absolute pleasure to engage with you and see how you've been helping E-Trade evolve, really shift and drive this product mindset. And I think one of the most interesting things to me about our discussions is the combination that you bring 12 years of experience on the development side of the house. You've had eight years working in, on the infrastructure side, right down to you know, some of our shared history of which is mucking on Unix command lines and doing administration and kind of paving the path to what we now know as SRE work. And then you were brought into E-Trade as an SVP for a really interesting function. So it's just been fascinating to me how much change you've been able to affect by combining those three things together, right? The infrastructure development, and of course, the executive end of things. So if you could just tell us a bit about that start of your journey, why would E-Trade bring in an SVP level person who actually cared about CI CD tools? Yeah, so I had spent 18 years at one company and it was the largest derivatives exchange in the world. And, and we were really focused on low latency, high throughput market data and order entry and clearing systems and things like that. And so I, always thought that I would at one point want to move on to another company, not because I didn't love what I was doing, but really because in the end of the day, I wanted to experience the pain points other companies had. We, we as a company were so small when I started and then we just got drastically larger as we kept acquiring different firms. And so I just started answering a couple phone calls from folks who had been bothering me for years to just take a look at some opportunities and E-Trade approached me. And, and actually, I, I got that connection through someone who had worked at the company I was at and just recommended me. And so through a conversation, there wasn't even actually a role that they were looking for specifically, but they knew they needed to focus on improving their automation efforts. Their biggest concern was it's a technology startup that was only 25 years old. They came out of Silicon Valley. They have all the right engineers. But over time, they grew and their locations grew, and so did the, the amount of engineers that they were hiring. So they went from one location in California to seven locations in the U.S., and, and it was from the East Coast all the way through the West. It was based on acquisitions. They never forced moved anybody. They just kept the locations. And so the more they talked about the Silicon Valley upbringing, the fact they weren't on a mainframe, the fact that they were really microservices and they had built it in 2001, 
the more we talked, the more I was like, wow, this is interesting. Why do they need me? Why do they need someone at this level? What I found after talking and interviewing with a few folks, including the CEO at the time, all of them were very proud of their engineers, but they found that what they landed up loving to do was build everything themselves, which isn't sustainable when you're a small technology shop of 1,500 people and everybody's trying to build their own version of a cool framework that shows everybody that you can do CI and you can you know, release code as often as you want because there's only a very small centralized shared services application engineering support team. So that was one problem they had. The second one they had is they didn't have enough automation. So they continued as they were going to hire more and more engineers to do testing for them. And they were all doing their own version of automation in the testing capacities as well. So when I came in, I looked at just interviewing a lot of the folks we've decided before I started taking the role, I started to kind of giggle because it's the problem I had. When I was an engineer in infrastructure, I didn't agree with some of the things that the developers felt that they needed. And then when I moved and ran development over a course of 12 years, I also recognized that infrastructure actually didn't understand what the software developers' issues were and what they absolutely needed. So I could see the same arguments going on at E-Trade. And I actually, my last two years at the company I was working at at the time, we had built a lot of these tools with third-party products. We decided we were not going to start being geniuses on our own. And we started testing out the waters of, of a lot of the tools that are on the market that everyone knows about today. I ended up taking the role and I spent a lot of time on a plane and I met with everybody. And what I found that they absolutely needed was exactly what the CIO that hired me knew they needed. And that is someone to be empathetic hear exactly what it is that they were trying to accomplish and why the things that other people were using weren't working for them. And then it was really about showing them how things have worked for me in the past in development, or if I was working with infrastructure, why things worked for me or didn't work for me in infrastructure. And then pulling a bunch of tools that after hearing over and over again, the pain points of what they were using today, finding solutions that I let keep resources, take some time to find a small subset of their people to start looking at it test it and see if it worked for them or if it was good enough for us to move off of what they were doing and try to move into a centralized world. So a good example would be they were huge quality center users, although everybody else was on Jira and the Atlassian suite, all the testing tools were in a totally different tool. So we moved that over to X-Ray. Some folks didn't really care to use Confluence because they had a wiki before that. So they were keeping all of their information located there. We just put a bunch of developers on it and scripted it, moved it over, and then had a small subset of team delete a bunch of bad information that had been out there. Then we started plugging in and trying to, to update their run books in a more automated way so that they didn't have to do that kind of work because they were doing it manually. I think in the end of the day, I loved that role. I did that for the first 18 months there because I had the opportunity to remind myself that you can't, you can't underestimate taking care of people and not managing them by saying you must use something. It's literally has to be an iterative. How does this feel? Is this good enough? And can you work with me to make this product work so that we all have one way of, of viewing and seeing the end result of whether or not we're getting more efficient at getting code out the door? Because that's the goal at the end of the day. Well, and that's what's so fascinating is that you actually, you succeeded at this because I think so many of, of our listeners, they face similar challenges. And each way is very interesting because it's, it does have that, some of that Silicon Valley, that startup DNA, but it's, it's a formidable financial services organization that, that plays in, in that complex, that regulated space. And I think so much of what I hear is other organizations 
who've had that same thing happen, right? Everyone's got their own pipelines going, everyone's got their own approaches to it, whether it's across different lines of business or, or even within them. So somehow you actually managed, and I, everyone complains about it, but you've actually managed to walk this process through to the end. It's just such a tricky balance when you look at the fact that you and I understand the importance of an effective tool network, how that's connected and, and how it supports an organization's value streams. But it's so many people got stuck between mandating it top down, how everything should be used and completely standardized, and just allowing this entire free for all. So what you're saying is that, I guess what I'm hearing is talking to people worked. <laughs> how, did you, yeah. how did you get through this block that so many, so many others get stuck on? I think a lot of it too is not just talking to people and letting them vent to you. It's actually when you get to the, the, the result of having enough buy-in, the few folks refuse to continue to do it. Every culture has that. You do have to basically say, and now I know why they brought in an SVP. You do have to say, I get what you're saying, but you're going to have to work with me because we're shutting this down and we're shutting it down by the end of the year. And if you don't work with me, you're going to lose some of the capabilities you have today. We're going to do whatever we can to make it so it's similar enough and good enough that you can continue on. But I think that's part of the, the issue, I think, in, in large corporations and small corporations. I've seen bureaucracy in startups as well. If you don't, as a top leader, keep an eye on it and don't just ask your direct reports if they're making progress. Everyone wants to tell you things are going well. You actually have to look yourself. You have to dive in, look in the tooling and see how people are using it, which I did a lot of. And then basically sit on Slack, which was, you know, which is our form of communication and just ping people directly and say, hey, can I have five minutes of your time? And then reminding you, I'm not trying to catch you off guard, but I'd like to understand why you're not doing what we've all agreed to, because it's, it's just at this point not acceptable. That is the key though, right? I'm a direct report to the CIO. And so there is a time where people start saying, right, I have to listen. And that's unfortunate, and, but if you wanna move fast, Sometimes that's the best way to do it, but I'm also not someone who says it's because I said so. And I think that's why I've been away from that role for 18 months now because I'm now running the retail business, but the tools haven't changed. They've only evolved and we get feedback every day and I use them as a development leader now. And I'm super happy that I was put in this role so that I don't have to be frustrated like the prior leadership that was running this area when it was a mess and was super happy I was here and I was hired to do this. I feel lucky that I get to utilize what was built. You hit on a couple of key things there because I think for so many organizations, what they've done is they've said, okay, this, the details of the tooling, how we approach that and so on, those are responsibilities of my direct, 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 direct. Whereas as you said, E-Trade took a very different approach. They took the approach of a, what to me is, you know, I know from say advanced manufacturers where the way that you actually, the responsibility of the effectiveness of the plant that produces all your cars is one of the top level functions, right? It can't be buried in the organization because it truly allows you to become more innovative, keep up with the market and deliver. And so I think you said something key there where you both had the authority. And I think it's, it's critical that organizations provide that authority to someone who understands how tool networks should work. But then you also recognize the need not to delegate all of this and say, go and pick the right tool, please, and make sure that the migration is smooth. But you actually did go down to a layer of depth. So could you just give people some advice on, on how you decide to do that, when you decide it is time to get into the weeds, into the details, and how you approach it? Because I think from my perspective, the times I've seen this work really effectively and more importantly, quickly, it's, it's three years, right? It's not, we're talking about some impressively quick time frames to results here. 
it really has to do with that, the combination of leadership and empowerment from the, the leadership of the organization to this mandate, but then knowing when to go deep and knowing when to support your team. So how did you do that? One of the key things I did when I got there the first six months, the folks that were being charged before me who recently had been moved into the role to manage this problem, they were already working there for a very long time. And so I think when you are working together as peers for a very long time, you get uncomfortable with, with saying, no, we have to do this. Whereas I'm a stranger and I'm not sure they, they know where, whether or not they can say yes or no to me. But also I did bring in two very good developers that worked with me at my prior company because I did need some folks that actually could code where we needed coding done. Part of their problem was that most of the folks doing this work could do some Python and some scripting, but I actually reinforced it with really doing my due diligence to make sure that the application engineers understood that we were bringing in people who understood their pain. I was lucky that they were willing to come over and now they're working on much bigger problems for the company. But I also promised them they wouldn't just be working on CI for the rest of their career at E-Trade. But I do think you have to reinforce it by bringing in people who think deeply about what bothers them as engineers, about latencies and, and time they spend supporting the lower environments because everything's so manual in nature and have been frustrated by it over the years and maybe done a couple trial and errors on this. You reinforce it also with people that you know care deeply about the problem. You can't do it alone. You absolutely need to have some really good engineers that you either hire or you bring within your organization that people like working with. It's a space where it is about not being right, but being iterative. And I do think that was actually the most important part is bringing in people who represent collaboration. I mean, I think for any good tool set, you need when, when people are building it, you need to be just as, as a general spirit, your nature has to be that notion that people sometimes just don't get it the first few times. And most people, 99% of the people you work with, when they're arguing with you, it's not because they're trying to be difficult. It's because they don't understand how this is going to make things better for them. That is a beautiful quote. Not being right, being iterative, exactly. And the fact that you, know, you brought developers that close to you who could prove these things out, provide the automations, and so yeah. on. I do want to reflect for a moment because one thing I've been absolutely seeing it over the last couple of years of these deployments of the shift to project product and deployments of the flow framework is different organizations put a different emphasis on the importance of this from a business point of view, where the organizations have really come from just purely IT as a cost center. There's such an emphasis on the business customer facing products. And then there's on the next layer down, it's where you've got those platform products, the shared APIs, there's, there's not enough investment and there's almost none on the actual tool network, the automation, the delivery pipelines themselves. And so I think, again, I think the key thing for people to take away from this is E-Trade was able to achieve this by making that a top priority, similar to how every tech giant does the same thing as well, and then creating the right kind of empowerment and and investment in that. I agree with you 100%. Even if you are a cost center company, you will drive savings, but you can't expect or demand a new team that you build and you need to build it. You can't have it be consultants. Consultants will build something for you, walk away, and then no one manages the automation. But you do have to support the fact that it will be something that you save in time and in effort and in growing your company. It's not so much that you're saving so much money on having no one testing anything because it's all automated. It is about the sustainability of rapidly being able to try things differently and move things in and out and hopefully move to AB sooner rather than later. 
because you're not spending all this time troubleshooting things just painfully to get it to production to try it. Like you can do this more frequently. I think people forget that you can't be penny wise and dollar foolish. You, you absolutely, at some, in some cases, you do need to build a small development team, not a large one, but one that sits there that cares deeply about this problem, but that you also incent them to stay in that role. Because it's really hard to find great talent that want to stay in CI because a lot of companies don't really appreciate, other than looking at cost savings, the work that's being done to grow the business. And okay, so why do you think E-Trade did appreciate this? Like, what was it? Because I think, again, we need more of this DNA, this kind of thinking in mm-hmm. more organizations. So what was it about, the, in your experience, about whether it's the way they evolved, the markets that they played in, their understanding of the needs? You know, the, in the end, we both know the tremendous benefits that, that are the outcome of this. So the question is, why can't other organizations realize that? What was it about E-Trade, whether it's the leadership, the, the history, that had them understand this and appreciate it? Yeah, I mean, if you were to ask the the teams, now that they have it, they're like, we're not doing enough. Like, that's the greatest gift in the world is like, we need to do more. Like, they're constantly trying to plug into every single project, every single project, new ideas or concepts or constructs that they're coming across because the products are getting better too. What we were looking at with CI three years ago has grown just ridiculously more advanced. But I think that as a company... We didn't have to hire more people. That team is staying the same size. And we actually are, I mean, if we look at our results and we don't do it by story size because story sizes make no sense. Everyone sizes them differently. We don't do the amount of things that we throw out the door. It's literally the amount of features and capabilities that customers are using that we're getting out of some of our analytic tooling that we're seeing the significant growth and how much product we are changing that we're updating, we're reskinning products, right? The amount of things that we're making better for the customer experience has grown exponentially. And that you get you know, out of other tooling that's going on in the company. But it's exciting because we know that we would not have been able to do this the way we were working three years ago. We absolutely know that from just looking at the statistics that we have from this tooling that we have is one set of it. We don't have 15 sources that we're trying to pull and get what the Scrum team is actually doing. And what they actually achieved through those, those projects. So there is, and I think this is interesting thing is both in your entire approach to this with your history in the industry and e itself, there is this product mindset that's there. So can you say a little bit, and this is kind of how our journeys joint paths is around this, this kind of common desire to support that product mindset, that innovation, that visibility, and also they said the consistency of measuring, tracking work and getting out of people's way. And I think one of the, more interesting things to me is that this is to you, it's just completely innate that of course you're going to A, B and test features to see again, which get adopted to stop investment, the ones that don't. But tell us a bit more about your journey with the, with the shift of product thinking and how you've basically helped in the end E-Trade scale that. Right. I really personally, over my course, my years being in technology for like, I think I've been in technology for 25 years now. I think the thing that I started to learn deeply uh, when I worked in development is that I myself found it frustrating that somebody would tell me my teams weren't doing enough and we weren't good enough and we weren't getting enough out the door for our customers. But it was just a, it was because they were looking at what their information was on a spreadsheet versus what we were producing in my mind from the development environment and all the things we were releasing, but we didn't have any tooling. So as it's advanced, what I started to recognize is that every time 
we got results from a project, people wanted to add more developers. I can't force a product person to go look deeply into where we're generally waiting and really where our metrics don't really show that literally the state of weight is always, always with the quality assurance teams because they're being overrun. So E-Trade, like most companies, but E-Trade in particular, they like to solve everything with developers. It's that startup mentality. So on some scrum teams, I, I could not get people to understand how disturbing this was until we've got all the tooling in place and we could see it. But we had some scrum teams with literally 18 developers and one QA. And they're like, it's fine. It's working fine. I'm like, it's how? How is that possible? There's no way that you can be getting meaningful work done. But they would say, you know, but the person's fine. And of course they wouldn't complain because they're just used to it. And some of these people are just too nice. I think E-Trade's culture is pretty funny. No one really complains much about anything. They're always like, sure, I'll do it. But I'm just looking at the numbers. I'm like, that makes zero sense. And then we would hire three consultants that would help them for five months and things would move a little bit more. But it's not the same as having employees because it takes time to learn and become an SME in the subject of what it is that E-Trade's systems do. And so over time, I had a personal agenda of just bringing visualization into show our product folks and my own management because most of my management really believed developers solve all of your problems. Having all the years of experience from working as a development leader, my QA, my quality assurance automators, and my actual quality assurance team are the ones that prevent us from having an embarrassing moment, but more importantly, who can tell me whether or not we're putting out good code or bad code. So I believe that a team should be structured vastly different no matter how much we have automated. So through a lot of this tooling, we were able to show that we keep buying ourselves into a deeper and deeper hole of coding a lot and it's just sitting there for a very long time. So of course you're angry at me because I'm not getting things out the door. And people are frustrated because I hire more product people and for every product person, we hire another developer, but we never ask for a QA person. So this information really helped them understand that even when they have conversations with me now, they're like, Heather, I don't think we have enough automators. We have no, we need some testing automation done. And I'm like, so proud of them, but it's because they're looking at the tools, not because I'm repeating myself over and over again, like I used to years ago. They're looking at the information themselves and seeing where we're blocking. That I think is just so key because I can't tell you how often I start engaging with an organization and it's that same thing on the business side that the teams are not doing enough. We need more development capacity and it's always that. Meanwhile, you have this kind of profound and deep experience on what it actually takes to deliver more value, not just beyond more lines of code, but in terms of actually value delivery and that entire systems thinking approach. So I think that you and I should kind of share that passion, which is that we get the systems thinking from our experiences working with development teams, but you've actually been able to use visualization and data to get other people understanding that. Not just, I think what you said there is just so key right now, because it's not just you repeating yourself over and over. You've managed to change the way that the, the business looks at this and actually get some of that systems thinking what it takes to, get to deliver more value to the customer through visualization and data. So to me, that is just such a tremendous accomplishment. And can you just tell us a little bit more about, so I think that that's a perfect example, right? Is that you knew that there was an imbalance and that the ratio of QA to dev was completely wrong, right? Other places, yeah. we've seen the ratio of, say, UX design to dev being completely wrong. And this is just such a common thing where the, the gut reaction is we need more devs. So yeah. 
part of the really interesting conversations you and I have been having and what we've been doing together is, is getting people thinking in terms of these flow metrics and value rather than let's just hire more devs. So tell us yep. some of your journey with sort of using the, the flow metrics to help people shift their perspective and get them to, I guess in the end, the amazing that you've achieved this, to get them to understand for themselves what you've seen for the last three years. Yeah, I think with the tooling in particular that I, I get from the Elastian Suite is seeing really deeply what it is that is not being answered as a question, like a QA person, I have a question about what it is a developer wrote or a developer waiting for an analyst's response from what they wrote down as what the requirement is. But with the tools that I've gotten through Viz, I think that you know senior leadership and, and my business partners, what they're going to be able to see, because we're just at that point now where we have it not just for one or two different areas, we have it for a lot of, of our Scrum teams. I think the thing that's most interesting is, I'll, I'll go with this, I think the flow time. Like people assume when someone writes something down and the developer hands it off, that's it. Like things should just be done within a week or two. And what they look at when they click around and they actually see what's happening and then the actual percentage of flow efficiency and, and how efficient we're getting, they want to assume that something just went wrong that was someone who just was behind, but there isn't. If you look deeper into the tool, it can show you so much information that we were never able to see through any of our other tooling about specific examples where you now know that you need more automation in this area because these poor QA people are testing huge quantities of different features that have to be tested before it moves on to the next environment. Or you have a bunch of automation that runs a really long time and it is what it is unless you want to go out there and have someone start doing some development work to fix it because it's gotten way too long. And maybe it's just you need more puppet instances because you have to deploy out to X amount of services. And that's part of what's taking so long in the actual deploy side. We haven't gotten that deep in it yet, but we are starting to see things that we otherwise would have never even concerned ourselves with. And that's, I, I think when you allow organizations, when you're working with them, when you're partnering with them, and we happen to be partnering with you and your organization on what we need, giving feedback loops constantly to the tooling teams that are helping you build these services and saying, hey, I could use this, I can use that. And getting that back, it's been amazingly helpful for us just ourselves trying to figure out what we're trying to get from all of this information we get through our organization's tools. And this tool in particular, it's super easy to use. Our active and waiting flow times, we can see them without having to actually do any thinking. It's always there and it's always up to date because it's syncing up daily. That is super helpful. So I don't have to bother anyone on any of my teams to get this information and nor does any, any of the people in the leadership roles across our department and across our product teams. And, and that to me is a huge win. And it's so interesting to me that you actually honed in on flow time. So I had just a very recent podcast was with Aiden Cockcroft, who was, you know, kind of one of the biggest innovators in cloud. He's one of the VPs in AWS. He wrote this really interesting white paper called Cloud for CEOs. And what he took us through on, on that podcast episode was there's one metric that matters and there's only one for your executives and it's flow time. It comes in different names, latency, something that you call lead time. Flow time is just a more specific definition of it in the flow framework, but 
increasingly I'm appreciating the power of that more is that while you understand the intricacies is why, why flourishing is important, your teams innately get it because they don't want to be waiting and blocked. I really think that there is something to, as you're doing internally, as Adrian is doing, is actually saying, no, just focus on flow time. Let's get on the same page. Let's set a target of dramatically reducing that flow time. And whether that makes a business case for moving faster to cloud, for slaying some internal monolith, investing in APIs, investing in CICD, absolutely been appreciating more that over-focusing on that, at least on the initial parts of the journey, as I think you've been able to get people at E-Trade doing. So, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, great. And tell us, you know, for someone in, because again, I think I've just been amazed at how much you've been able to do in this amount of time for an organization that has some real complexity, right? We're not talking about a smaller mid-sized tech startup here. We're talking about uh, someone playing with against financial services giants and then providing unique kind of uh, offering and value. Can you just give some advice to someone in your role who's going into, well, I, there are two scenarios, right? I think each we did something smart and you alluded to this of bringing someone external in, right? Someone who's got different perspective and can really challenge the way things have been done. And I think that does sound like it was a, a key aspect of why you were able to do things so quickly. In other cases, it will be an internal change agent that, that needs to do this. And sometimes that, that can be more difficult, but as we wrap up, summarize just some advice you know, to that person who's entering your role and, and wants to achieve the things you've achieved in, in a similar time frame. Yeah, I, I can't say enough how important it is to be a team player and really go in and recognize that it's very painful. And some days as an advocate and the person who's trying to change the way people view these problems by saying we can solve this. Sometimes I would come home at night and say, oh, my God, I don't know what, what I can do next to get these folks to, to understand that it's not going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. And we're always going to find things that don't work the way we imagine they were. But we've got to make improvement. I think it really is important to be just that ultra passionate listener and really change even your own view of what you thought you were trying to accomplish by making it everybody's vision and in everyone's vision being Whatever I'm bringing to the table with the teams and the organization, I've got to get my CIO or my CEO or whoever it is that believes this might really change the way that product and development work together and the way that we design and figure out what success looks like with meaningful, non-emotional, like fact-based, over and over again, iterative approaching by having information that historically shows you or trends like you should be improving um, it comes from being super excited about it. You you can't be exhausted about it. And there was many nights I, I was super exhausted, but I actually started at one point fighting a lot with my own peers about it because it became a distraction because I needed everybody's help and they need to run the business, right? And and because I've worked in those roles, I got it. I understood. But you you have to reinforce all the time that it isn't this person who was hired's job. It's everybody to remind everyone how important it is and to always when there's flaws to it or there's big, huge problems with it, don't bring it up. But always during any like team meetings or any organizational, like we'd have these monthly CIO meetings, we would talk about whatever successes we had. It's about constantly celebrating the successes you do have, even if they're the littlest. And then specifically pointing out the person or group that actually helped make that change happen. People don't necessarily want to help when they do a lot of painful work and then nobody celebrates it or thanks them other than a private note. People like having their name put out there for being that advocate that actually provided out of their day job, took away from their day job and, and moved to work on this problem. 
Okay, excellent. Heather, that is, thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for sharing your journey. Any kind of, any last thoughts? No, it's, it's hard to get started. And especially if you're an extremely large company, I absolutely believe it's even more complex and difficult. But if you can show with one part of your organization how it might potentially work and then just celebrate it and continue to try to expand it, I think it can happen for even the largest of companies. This kind of tooling can show everybody. You don't get to talk to each other every day. Your locations all over the world. Each trade is is a nine locations, honestly, and that's it's only a fifty eight hundred person company. Through the tools, you can all see the same thing without having to actually meet with each other in person. It's worth it. Okay, great. Thank you so much. And I think you know, I I having seen this in so many organizations, I fundamentally believe that the way that you've approached this is the right path for organizations that at your scale and at, at ten times your scale as well. In some cases, it might take long to deliver results, but I hope that others take this the kind of inspiration from what you've achieved and, and make it work within their own organization. So thank you so much, Heather, You're for welcome. those patterns. Talk to you soon. Thank you. A huge thank you to Heather for joining me on this episode. For more, follow me on my journey on LinkedIn, Twitter, or using the hashtags one or project to product you can reach out to Heather via LinkedIn or through E-Trade's company Twitter account at E-Trade. I have a new episode every two weeks, so hit subscribe to join us again. You can also search for Project to Product to get the book. And remember that all author proceeds go to supporting women and minorities in technology. Thanks, stay safe, and until next time.